now we pick up in verse 15. He says, let us therefore as many as be perfect be thus minded. And if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal this, reveal even this unto you. They're saying those that are perfect. Now this doesn't mean a sinless perfect. This is more of like mature, complete. He's like those that have a mature mindset, they think this way. They're not complacent. Uh, they're, they're not going to be um, satisfied with just where they're at, but rather they're going to continue to pursue Christ. He says, let, or let as, as many as be perfect or mature think this way. He's like, look, if those that have a mature mind, look, they're going to think in this way. But then he says, those that don't have that mind, he's like, God's going to reveal it unto you. And this is just, I mean, a, a really powerful application that's kind of hidden here a little bit. Because when you think of Paul, you don't think of someone um, that was shy or bashful of saying the things that needed to be said. Paul said just bold truth. He preached bold truth to people. And obviously he's a, a inspired, an inspired apostle. So it's not just his words, it was the words of God that he penned, that he wrote down. But we see Paul like willing to have the hard conversations. Paul willing to confront people when necessary. But you also see this balance of Paul saying, I'm going to trust that God is going to deal with people. I'm going to trust that God's the one that's going to reveal that to someone. And man, what a, what a life application and lesson for us. How many of you have ever been frustrated with somebody that you just think like, man, they don't get it. I keep telling them this over and over. Or maybe you've been in that spot. Someone's told you things and it's just like in one ear and out the other. You knew better. You just, you know, or you just didn't get it. Paul's saying, look, I'm going to trust that God is going to reveal this to you. Trusting that God is going to do that work in the hearts of people. Doesn't mean we shy away from the truth or that we don't say things that need to be said. But he's saying, look, I'm trusting that God is going to be the one to reveal this unto you if you don't think in this way. Because nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. He's saying, live in a way of the, of the truth that you know. That where you've come to spiritually in your maturity, now walk that way. Your walk should match that. If you're pursuing Christ, passionately pressing toward that mark of knowing God more, your life should live that way. And he talks about having to walk by that same rule and have the same, minding the same things, being like-minded. Here it seems like it's another plug that Paul's putting in for the, the unity the harmony with fellow believers. He's like, we're pressing towards that same goal. This goal that I have of knowing Christ, this goal that I have of, of, of that, that great love of, of knowing God in a real, in a powerful way, in so much so, even not just the power of his resurrection, but also even the fellowship of his sufferings. Knowing God in that way, he says, if we know that, we're going to walk by the same rule. We're going to have the same mentality, the same mind. And, and as believers, 
we have, we should have this same unity, this same mind with one another. Look, if our goal is to pursue Christ, to know Christ more and more, then we should be like-minded with one another. Not a cookie cutter of one another. Not meaning we all have the same opinions about everything, but as far as our main goal and purpose, there should be unity. He says we should think, we should be like-minded. Uh, next week, we're going to look at chapter 4. Paul is even um, confronting in his letter, Yodius and Syntyche. I have no earthly idea if that's the correct pronunciations. But nevertheless, he confronts two individuals. He's like, hey, by the way, I wish Syntyche and Yodius, Yodius that you'd be like, you'd be of the same mind. In other words, quit bickering, quit fighting, quit being Quit emphasizing the disunity and focus on what unifies you. And that's what he's saying here. That if we are passionately pressing towards Christ, pursuing Christ, we should have this mentality. We should be like-minded. Unity of the believers. This is something that's really, really important to Paul. And this is something that's really important to God. This is something that should be really important to us as a body of Christ is having this same mindset, like-mindedness, and having unity as believers, because this is what is a reflection of God. And this is when, when believers are walking together in unity. This is God's desire for his church, that we would walk in unity, that we would have the same passion, the same goals, the same desires. And if our overall main goal is the same, then the things that are differences should be very minimal. And they're things that should not cause division. It should not cause disunity. We learned that in chapter two, that a great part of that unity is through humility of just preferring other people's preferences, preferring other people's feelings, preferring others. That Humility will then breed unity. Now he says this, brethren, be followers together of me. Mark them which walk, so as you have us for an example. He's like, listen, you are to, to follow people, follow the examples of those that are following Christ. Follow me. And he's like, not just me. Others who are also have this mindset, you need to follow them. You need to have people that you are not idolizing, but that you can learn from their example. You can be encouraged by their example. And that is also for us today important that we do that. That we have that. That we have those godly examples, but... Here's a question for you. Who are you that godly example to? Who are you following? Yes. Who are those examples you're following? But also, who are you that example to? I mean, can you point to humbly by God's grace? But can you, are you pointing others to Christ by the way that you're living? Are you an example of passionately pursuing Christ? Are you an example to the believers? 
because we all need that. We all have to have that. That's part of the, the purpose of the church when we edify and build one another up is not just with our words, but with our life, but with our actions. And here's what this means. It means you have to get close enough to people to be that example and to follow that example. Now that can be triggering to some when they hear that about letting people in and having that community and letting people be close. And sometimes though, the reason for that is because of past hurts in your life, you're not willing to be vulnerable again. See, what happens is when we've been hurt by someone, we tend to then keep everybody at arm's distance because at all costs, we're going to avoid that pain again. We're going to avoid that being experiencing that same hurt. And, and that's why when people are hurt in a church, whether by a pastor, by other members, or whatever the situation is, when they've experienced that, they tend to just keep everybody at arm's length because they don't want to be hurt again. And it's understandable, right? Because of, of past trauma, because of, of past experiences. And it's not just with church. Like you, we've seen that with people with relationships. Yet you ever know of somebody, maybe you're this person, or you ever know of somebody that maybe was abandoned by somebody? Maybe a, a parent or maybe a, a spouse or maybe a close friend, or maybe there was a dating relationship and, the, and it, it didn't end well. And then that person, they, it's like they then, they, they, they will hold everybody back at arm's length. They're never going to be vulnerable again. And what can happen is it's like they can start to live like this self-fulfilled prophecy. Oh, everybody leaves. Everybody abandons. You know, maybe it's happened just once or twice, but oh, everybody, every relationship. And what they'll do sometimes is self-sabotage it. Like the moment they start to get close to someone again, they'll sabotage that relationship because they'll find a way to make that, to fulfill what, what, is, what that mentality is. And the point is this, like, yes, we need discernment in wisdom. Paul's going to warn in just a few verses, not everybody should you follow. Not everybody's worth following. Not everybody's a godly example. There's some evil people in the world. There are those that are going to lead you down a path of destruction, both spiritually, mentally, physically. Have discernment, but you can't completely shut everybody off in your life. You know why? Because we need to follow together those that are walking in this godly life. We need to be vulnerable in a sense, not naive, but vulnerable to allow, allow true community with one another. This is important part of, of, of our Christian walk. In fact, I, I would dare say that so much emphasis in the New Testament, just about every book in the New Testament, you see this, this is one of the patterns, one of the themes of, of believers of the church is that that you walk in fellowship with one another, that you have true relationships. You have, you provide that community for others who need it. And you yourself, I myself need that community. So I'm not belittling past hurt. It's real. 
But you also can't shut everybody else out the rest of your life because you need that fellowship and you need that community. I've seen that even happen with friends in ministry where they've had a bad experience at a church. They were burned by a church. And so what happens is they're never going to allow themselves to be put in that position again. And, and a lot of times, again, I'm no man's judge. Like God has a different calling for each of us, right? And it looks a little bit different. Some people, maybe they're called more of like what the apostle Paul did, where they're going to go to a lot of different places. And there's nothing wrong with that if that's what God's calling is. But my fear is that sometimes I've seen, even with friends in ministry who've been hurt, is they never stick around long enough in a place to have true meaning rela meaningful relationships. I mean, as they're starting to get close, it's like, oh, time to move on. And if that's God's calling, then praise God for that. But the, the fear that I have is many times because of past hurt, they don't want to be vulnerable again. Well, I was hurt before when I got close, so I'm never going to allow people to get that close. I'm not going to be vulnerable in that same way ever again. And what I'm proposing is this, that we're truly missing out on, on meaningful and needful relationships with one another. Yes, be wise, be discerning. And, and maybe if you're here, I said this at 9.30, I'll say this again. Maybe you're here and you truly have experienced some hurt from people in a church or from even a pastor or God forbid that that happened, but maybe that did. And so I get it, like you need time to heal, but you have to heal. You have to heal. Sometimes we use that excuse, not just with that, but with a lot of things in life. Well, I just need time to heal. I get that. And that's true. As long as you are healing, as long as you're willing to deal with some of those root issues, maybe it was some things in your life. Maybe it was things in others' life. Maybe you were the victim in, those, in that sense of hurt. But don't keep everybody at arm's distance. Yes, be wise and discerning. Be prayerful. But you and I need those relationships in our life. And this is what Paul's saying. He says, brethren, be followers together of me. He says, not just me. Mark them which walk so that you, he says, you have us for an example. Because you and I need that example. And I wonder today if you are a believer, who are you following? Who are the people that are close to you that you're allowing to help shape you and mold you and encourage you to know Christ and walk with Christ more? And who are you that example to? Who are you that example to? See, if you don't get over that past hurt and heal, the reality is you're never going to be that example that you need to be to others. So take time. That's all right. But make sure you're healing because you and I need that true fellowship. We need that true community. Verse 18, he says, for many. Now, here's the, the discernment part. Here's the wisdom part, right? You need godly examples, but know this. There are those, he says, and I've told you often. He's like, I've told you this before, guys. He's like, and I'm telling you again, weeping. This is heavy on his heart. He's like, they're the enemies of the cross of Christ. 
This is bold, strong language. He's not just saying, oh, there's some people out there that aren't the greatest people to hang around. Or, you know, if you hang around them, just be careful and cautious. No, he's saying they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. He's saying there are people that are going to lead you. Their end is destruction. And they're going to lead you down a path of destruction. They're going to lead you down a path of harm. They're, go they're going that way and they're going to take you with them. So we hear Paul saying the need for true fellowship and meaningful relationships. But he's saying there's those that are not godly. I'm warning you of them. Don't go with them. Don't hang out with them. Because you're going to follow that path of destruction. Some of you, if you have teenagers or adult children, you've probably had that conversation with them many times, right? Like, listen, yes, you, be, you do the right thing, but also be cautious of who you're with. Be cautious of who you're with. Because they're going to lead you down a path, and it's not an excuse but I've talked to many, many a person, many a person who they started going down this path with others and eventually, eventually it led to a path of destruction. Again, thank God for grace and thank God for his mercy, but, but don't experience unnecessary pain and heartache because you're with people that are going to take you down this path. So Paul's warning, there's some evil people. Who are these people that he's talking about? Well, he tells us in verse 19. He says, their end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. He's saying there are those who are walking down a path of just indulging in anything they want. That's what it means when he says their God is their belly. Not just that they like to eat good food, right? But he's saying, no, they're... They're ones who are just following every fleshly impulse. And they're leading you astray. See, Paul's already talked about the warned against the danger of the Judaizers who are adding something to the finished work of Christ. They're saying it's Christ plus something. Like he's warning, don't, they're, they're dangerous. They're adding to the gospel. It's a false gospel that is not the gospel that we read about. It's, it's a false gospel that cannot save you when you try to add something to the finished work of Christ. This is what the Judaizers that we talked about last week were doing. In modern day, this is what we would say is legalism. Is people trying to add works to the finished work of Christ. Saying that you have to do something other than what Christ has accomplished for you. That's dangerous. And there's different kinds of that legalism, right? There's those in the true sense of the form legalism that add to the gospel. Well, it's faith in Christ plus your works. It's faith in Christ plus you got to get baptized. There's faith in Christ plus this, plus following the law, plus whatever. But it's adding something that's dangerous. Then there's also a, a different type, type of legalism who are I, I think are truly saved people they're truly believers but they add and make things up that we need to follow as christians that aren't in the bible like they'll bring a verse up but that's not when you really look at the context of that verse that's not what it's saying and here's the thing it's they're following more tradition 
than Scripture. And there's nothing wrong with tradition. There's some really good traditions. And here's the thing. You have them. And I have them. Our church, a young church of not even eight years old, we have traditions. And they can be good things. They can be helpful things. The problem, though, is when we elevate it on the same level as Scripture. Because here's what happens. Then when those traditions start crumbling, when we recognize, or our kids start recognizing, oh, that's not in the Bible. Like, hey, I was taught that this is what the Bible teaches. And it's really not what the Bible teaches. Then you have, oh, is any of it true? And then you have what we see today on a weekly basis of people that have a deconstruction story. Oh, I'm going to reject everything that I was taught. I'm going to reject all of it. And the reality is, it was just a couple things they realized that weren't scripture. And they want to throw everything out with that. But the thing is, we don't need to deconstruct our faith. When we recognize things that maybe we thought were scripture that weren't, or that we didn't think were that are, and when we allow the Bible to shape our beliefs, what happens is we're being sanctified. We're growing in our faith. We're not deconstructing anything. Our faith is being built. And all of us have those things. I don't care how great the church is that you grew up in. There's probably some things you look at and think, ah, oh, you know, maybe, maybe we just weren't paying attention, right? Or maybe we were and, and we misunderstood something, but like, oh, okay. There's some things that we once thought and we've changed our mind. If the scripture is what's caused you to change your mind, that's not deconstruction. That, that's called sanctification. That's called growing in our faith. But there's a great danger of this legalism of adding something, equating certain things and putting them on the, or the same level as scripture. But there's another danger. And that is Paul's warning about here. He's saying, look, there are those who are following every sinful fleshly desire. Saying it's all okay. Do what you want. Follow what you want. The it would be the equivalent when he says your God is your belly. It'd be the equivalent when you hear people say, just follow your heart. Follow what you want to do. Well, yes, follow your heart as God is changing your heart. Amen. That's a good thing. Follow the spirit of God leading you through the word of God as he's changing you. But our heart is, is sinful. Our heart is depraved. We need a new heart. And when we have that new heart, we still battle and struggle with sin. So be very cautious about just following what feels good. Be very cautious about just following what you think is true. Filter those things through the word of God. So Paul's warning about the two ditches. Legalism, adding things that aren't in scripture and demanding everybody follow them. Versus the other ditch of everything's just a free, I have a license to do whatever I want. I have a license to live however I want. No, if you've been saved, if you are a child of God, no, you cannot live however you want. That if you truly know God, your desire, my desire is to passionately pursue God and what he wants, not just follow 
every, every impulse and every desire. And Paul's saying, listen, don't follow that. He says, I'm telling you again, and I'm telling you passionately, I'm weeping telling you this. They're enemies of the cross of Christ. They're leading you away from scripture. Oh, I know it looks like they're promising you freedom. They're promising you liberty. But he says it's a path of destruction. They're following just what they feel, what they want. He says they're glory, glorifying things that should be shameful. Mm. Do we not see this today? Things that we should be repenting of. We're, we're celebrating it. Things that Christians should be walking out of and away from. You're having those that are coddling people into hell by telling them, just follow what you feel is good. Just follow this. You have liberty and freedom. That liberty and freedom, though, liberty and freedom is leading people down a path of destruction and harm. Paul's saying, look, I'm warning you. I'm telling you, don't follow them. Follow godly examples. Follow those who are passionately following Christ and his word. Don't follow those who are leading you down a path of destruction. He says the only thing they mind and care about is earthly things. But now look at the contrast as we close. He says, but our conversation or our life, our, from the Greek word there comes the word citizenship. It's in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. He's like, don't just live for everything here and now. He says, your citizenship as a believer is in heaven. And because of that, we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We long for his return. He's coming. And when he comes, he says that we are going to be changed. This, he says, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned unto his glorious body. According to the working whereby he is able even to subdue or control, put all things under his feet unto himself. What a glorious promise these verses are to every believer, to every child of God. Now, let me preface this by saying, as Christians, we can care very much about God's will being done here. We're to pray. God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we don't ignore this life. We don't ignore things in this world. You know, so if we do that, that can lead to really dangerous conclusions of the true sense of when people say, oh, they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. Usually it's the opposite. You know, we're so worldly minded and earthly minded that we're of no heavenly good. But Paul's not saying don't care about this life. He's saying stop putting all the stock into what happens here. As Christians, we should care very much what happens here. We have a framework to care about justice here. We should care about what happens. And, and that's why when we see injustice and when we see, when we see evil going on and we see people that are suffering and we see innocent people that are hurting, we as Christians, we have a meaningful foundation where we should care about those things because we know that all human beings have this intrinsic value. We're made 
in the likeness, the image of God. And we should care when there's pain and suffering and evil in the world. We should want to be involved to stop that. But know this. It's not going to stop entirely. There's pain in this life. There's evil in this life. There's, there's, there's heartache in this life. And as Christians, yes, we care and we want to pursue justice and pursue and help and defend those that are weak and defend those that are victims. And absolutely, we want to pursue that. But know this, this isn't where our citizenship is. In fact, we're dual citizens. We're citizens of heaven who are living on this earth. And we know there's coming a day all those wrongs are going to be made right. Oh, go ahead and pursue justice here in this life. Be involved in your community. Be involved in politics as much as you can as a Christian. Because it matters. We should be. We're the salt. We're the light of this earth. Stop putting all your stock, though, in what happens down here. Stop getting so depressed. I'm saying this to myself as well. Stop getting so depressed and fearful over what's happening down here. We're citizens of a different country. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we wait, we look for the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't you long for that day? What a day that's going to be. Man, there's a lot of pain and heartache here in this life. Not just physical pain, there's emotional pain. And, and sometimes that can be the worst. The worst pain, there's fear, there's anxiety. We're in a fallen world. Not only that, Satan and demons are at work. They want you and I to be fearful. They want us to be depressed. They want to discourage the people of God. So we're ineffective. But it's not going to work. It's not going to work. Because we know this. Yes, we're citizens down here, but we're really true citizens of another country. We're longing for that day. We're looking for our Savior. Why? Because when he comes, oh, I love verse 21. He's going to change this vile body. This body that is filled with aches and pains and, and sin. And when we're saved, we are redeemed by the grace of God. The Spirit of God is in us. And God's work at salvation, we've been talking about this the last, few work, the last few weeks, it's ongoing in us. You know what gives us confidence of our salvation is the fact that God is continually working in us. Like, I'll be honest, I'm not the judge of who truly is a believer and who's not, right? That's, God knows who truly is a child of God, but I don't find any confidence when people tell me they're a Christian, but you see no work of God in their life, no fruit in their life. I mean, no change at all in their life. I don't find any confidence in that. You know what I do find confidence in though? The ongoing work of the spirit of God in, in, in my life and in the lives of others. Sometimes I can, you know, you don't always know with other people because they can put on a front and, and I get that. But when you see the work of God in your life, God changing you more and more every day, Oh, sure, we still stumble. We still struggle with sin. Man, we still fall flat on our face plenty of days. We still give in to temptations plenty of days. But you know what you see in our life is God gives us just a hatred towards our own sin. God gives us a hatred. And by the way, even as Christians, 
Christians can struggle with even addictive sins. Like that can happen. That truly can happen. And so, look, I don't say this to discourage you, but I think a sign of the Spirit of God working in you is you don't love that sin anymore. That you're wanting to walk away from that sin. You, you loathe that sin in your life. And you long more and more for the Spirit of God to change you. To make you more like Him. And Paul's saying that there's coming a day when Christ returns. When you will completely be changed. You will be, your body will be glorified. That doesn't mean we're going to be a God. Sometimes different cults and people get really goofy with, they'll, they'll, Take a verse or two and, and, you know, try to build this whole doctrine on it. No, we're not going to be a God, but this body is going to be changed into a glorious body, free from sin. See, right now we've got the spirit of God in us. If we're saved, we desire righteousness, but that flesh, that earthly, that earthly desire is still there in temptation. Sin still looks pretty good. Let's be honest at times. Now, God changes us and gives us more and more a love for him and a hatred for our own sin. But, man, there's times it looks pretty good. There's times sin can still be very appealing. But when we're in heaven, when we have a glorified body, you know what? We're going to absolutely detest sin. You know, it's like, well, is there free will in heaven? And, and all those theological, fun, theological questions that are good for us to dive into and talk about. Well, I don't know it's so much that we can't. It's, there's not going to be a desire to. Now we won't, right? We know that, but we're just going to detest it so much. This glorified body is going to be just made complete. That we're going to have no desire to sin. But here in this life, we still desire it at times. And we still battle with temptation. And Paul's saying, man, our citizenship's in heaven. This body's going to be changed. It's going to be fashioned like unto his glorious body. A body without sin, a body without pain. Now, those of you that have gone through a few surgeries, doesn't that sound good? It's sounding better and better. The more aches and pains that you deal with. The older that you get, right? It's like the more aches and pains. I heard somebody in their 20s complaining like how they were getting old like the other day because they had aches and pains. I'm like, you have not, just wait, right? And some of you that are maybe in your 50s or 60s or 70s are probably looking at me who's not even 40 yet. Like, what are you talking about, kid? You have no idea the aches and pains. But listen, those things we feel because we're in this fallen world. But Paul's saying, look, we're looking and longing for Christ because he's going to change this body. Not going to deal with the sin. Not going to deal with the, the pain that sin brings in this life. The death of loved ones and the disappointment of, of broken relationships. The, for crying out loud, the disappointment our own sin brings us. You know, we're sure quick to see and experience and, or point out the flaws of how other people sin, ruin things, and even ruin things in our life. And that's true, right? We've all experienced that. Heartache of not anything you've done, but someone else has caused. And, and that hurts. It hurts deeply. But how about the pain our own sin brings us? 
the frustration that it brings, the sleepless nights, all of those things, they'll be forever gone. Believer, child of God, be encouraged today. The pain in this life is temporary. And Paul's saying, listen, his point is follow godly examples, not the people who are just living for the here and now, not just the people, don't follow the people that are indulging in everything like, like this life is it. You only live once, you know, live it up right now. Paul's saying, no, there's more to come. We're citizens of another country. Don't believe that lie that you need to follow every fleshly indulgence here. It's actually going to lead you down a path of destruction. For people that aren't believers, that lie is going to take them to hell because they're never going to turn to faith in Christ because they love their sin and they're not willing to repent of that sin and turn to Christ. And I would say as application for us as believers, it's not going to take us to hell but it's going to cause a lot of harm and destruction in our life. We can make choices and, and, and though there's forgiveness and grace and mercy, amen. We can make choices if just following what feels good at the moment that can make us ineffective for Christ. Th those decisions can affect the example that we are to others. Now, if we repent of that, there's mercy and God can... God can bring beauty out of the ashes, but probably the conversation that many of you have had with your kids, like, don't learn the hard way, though, right? Follow, listen to our advice so you don't have to learn the hard way. But Paul's saying, look, follow godly examples. Our citizenship's in heaven, and we look for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to change this vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. So he's saying, look, this isn't just this pie in the sky pep talk of, oh, a better day's coming. You know, oh yeah, they're, you know, heaven's going to be great. Just, you know, just, you know, this, this false reality, right? He's not just saying this wishful thinking. He's like, oh no, oh no, this is happening. Right, this is going to happen because it is according whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. It's like this, because Jesus Christ is victorious. This is true. This will happen. This is reality because Christ is, he has, and it is ongoing subduing bringing all things under his feet. Jesus was victorious at the cross. He was victorious because there is an empty tomb today. He has, Christ has the power to fulfill this promise. He is going to, he has, an, and it is ongoing, going to subdue all things unto himself. And when he returns, he's going to put the final exclamation point on it. This transformation is possible because Christ's power is enough to place all things under his authority. We know this is true because Jesus is God. Jesus is the creator of all. Jesus defeated death. 
We have a resurrected king who is in control, who has all power and authority, and he is subduing and will subdue and place all things under his authority. This verse ends on a positive note. Saved believers can look forward to a time when every pain and problem in this earthly body will be exchanged for a new an improved body, and one that will last forever in the presence of our Lord. Let's pray. God, thank you.